All right. Well, two weeks late and we're back at it. <laughs> um, everybody, if you'd like to send us hate mail, um, due to the care of Whitley, because it's her fault. This is true. Because I've had my story written for two weeks. I wrote this one last week. <laughs> we still didn't record. <laughs> no. It's okay, though. You're doing really good things. Really awesome stuff. So I think uh, myself and our fans, our three whole fans, forgive you. <laughs> Thank you, three whole fans. That's very kind. Yeah. <laughs> we try. How are things going? Good. I am exhausted. <laughs> I bet. A little scrambly over there, huh? Yeah, a little bit. I didn't know that being in charge would drain so much of my mental energy every day. Oh, yeah. Not a fan. Not a fan. I'm not even all the way in charge and I'm mentally drained every day. And that's at my one whole job. I know. And 37 whole jobs. I'm stupid and added a graphic design contract for two extra hours a day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and also we are planning our wedding and we did invites the last couple nights. Ooh. So you at least get that in the mail. Yeah. I probably save the date on the fridge. I promise it's been productive. <laughs> well, at least you're not just uh, ghosting us for the sake of ghosting us. At least we can say you're doing shit. Oh, I do that too, but this was actually real. Welcome to Hysterical History, where we sit down, talk about our favorite stories, and of course, laugh. Your hosts are Whitley Trussler and Emily Gummery. All right, let's get this show started. I guess since... I've already set the tone of blah. I can go ahead and do. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I, I guess that though, I shouldn't call my story blah. Um, Cause it's not blah. It, it is very serious though. Um, and it would have really worked great last week because I was going to talk about uh, the Black District of Greenwood, um, which, if you're not familiar, it was referred to as kind of the the Black Wall Street, and it got destroyed and covered up. Um, I think I watched a documentary on that. Yeah, the it happened on May 31st, so it would have been, like, that's why I was doing it, because, you know, it popped up, like, I was reading about it, and I was like, oh, like, we should talk about this, and then, then here we are. It is no longer May 31st. Like the trash white people we are. Yeah, exactly. The white trash people I am. We, listen, <laughs> both of our hometown, it's like copy paste. Okay. So that's same. fair. That's fair. Same. Um, so I don't know if you want to start with Tulsa or, or what you have going for us. I today. mean, mine's kind of short, so it's up to you. Hmm. Yeah, TBD on how long mine will be. Uh, <laughs> I can I can go first. That Let's way do it. we have as plenty plenty of time for yours. Let's do so, it. So, um, anybody who's new may not have gone back to the older episodes. Anyone who's been here a long time, 
you've heard from her on the podcast. Um, but Brenna requested this story um, like a month ago <laughs> when we were out for my birthday and I finally have been able to do it. It kind of goes with our mistress series, but not royal mistresses. Um, so we are actually going to talk about the Marilyn Monroe dress. Uh, I thought that's what this is going to be. Yes. Let's hear it. Take it away. Yes. So listen, I scoured the internet, the interwebs, and you would be surprised how little information there is about this damn dress. But you know how many articles I found about Kim Kardashian wearing this damn dress? I was going to say, million billion. is that why this topic came up for discussion? Um, yeah, because she had worn it and then Brenna brought it up. Yep. Okay. I was like, you know what you should do? You should do the dress. And so here we are talking about the dress. <laughs> so Marilyn Monroe, and this is going to cause me to do a story on Marilyn Monroe eventually, just so we're all clear. We're all on the same page. I don't want to hear it. I'm already going to do it. Okay. So here we are. Marilyn Monroe was born Norma Jean Mortensen on June 1st, 1926. Okay. <clears throat> Skip forward because that's a different story for another day when Whitley decides to let me do this podcast. And we're talking about straight the dress. So Monroe was introduced to JFK, John Fitzgerald Kennedy in 1954 during her marriage to Joe DiMaggio, okay? So both parties are married at this time. They begin the affair of all affairs because it's a, did they, but did they not? But did they? Because that literally no one can agree. I'm telling you here first, I 100% believe they had an affair. So this continued throughout her next marriage. So her and DiMaggio, done. She then marries playwright Arthur Miller and continues said affair with JFK during this marriage as well. So we're not off to a great start if you're already having an affair at the beginning of your marriage. After, um, and this even continued after, which we're all aware, um, JFK being elected as president of the United States in 1961. So it's 1962, Whitley, and Marilyn Monroe sings her infamous Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday to you. So she sings the song on May 19th at a fundraiser for JFK and the Democratic National Committee, which was 10 days before the president's 45th birthday. So Kennedy's brother-in-law, which would be 
Jackie's brother, I believe, is how I'm following this. Um, he gets up on stage and like introduces her. And I'm like, you know what? If I'm following this correctly and that's Jackie's brother, that's ballsy. That is ballsy. Because let my brother introduce someone my husband is sleeping with and my brother and my husband and that woman are conveniently disappearing on the same day. So she comes to the stage. She removes her white fur coat and bam, there she was in the dress. Everyone stops, stares, they pass away internally. So the dress was a sheer form-fitting little number dotted with beads. And according to the site worn on this day, uh, or sorry, worn on this day, the clothes that made history, there were more than 2,500 rhinestones on it. It also has been noted that Monroe had to be sewn into the dress due to it being so tight and form-fitting. And because of that, Whitley, she makes the decision to wear nothing underneath so the fit is flawless. Scandalous. This is, this is how, this right here is what I believe Beyonce uh, like singing about when she's like, I woke up like this, like this situation right here. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's the song. So <clears throat> Monroe paid $1,440 for the dress, which in 2022 is about $13,700. Still cheaper, probably, than some people's wedding dresses. 100%. But, but still expensive. Oh, yeah. Like just a dress that she literally wore once to sing to her cheating boyfriend. Yes. So, of course, after the performance, the value goes up on the dress like anything else. Because we, as Americans and as just human beings, have to freaking purchase things. So it sells for a hundred, I'm sorry, not a hundred. I got excited. $1.26 million in a 1999 auction. But wait, there's more. In 2016, the Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum paid $4.8 million for the same dress. So it literally went up almost three, uh, roughly $3 million in that time. Wow, that's a big flex by Ripley's, believe it or not. And yes. a very weird flex, but yes. Anyways. <laughs> so to round it all off, because of their purchase, this made the Marilyn Monroe dress, one of the most expensive pieces of pop culture memorabilia of all time. And if that doesn't give you chills, I don't know what does. That's wild. 
Do we know how much Kim paid for it? Um, let me check. Cause I don't know if she even paid for it or if they just like allowed her. She just rented it from Ripley's <laughs> Ripley's rentals. Could you imagine? <laughs> so yeah, they lent her the dress. That is wild. <laughs> so according to this, no adjustments were allowed to be made, which is why she, so she did only wear it on the red carpet and then she changed into a different dress. But like, I rem- I watched a TikTok video and she was like really having a hard time getting that dress on without like it ripping or anything. And so she really had to like be be in the dress could you imagine like ripping a four million dollar dress i mean to be fair it it is kim kardashian so like 4.8 million dollars is like two pennies to us um however i could not imagine ripping not only a dress that's 4.8 million dollars which that's what they bought it for i'm sure and that was in 2016 so i'm sure it's worth more now um but to rip something so iconic from history, like, and the woman that wore it originally isn't even around anymore. And the scandal that went along with the dress, like, no, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even want to breathe the same air as the dress. I would, I would be panicked that my germs would get on it. And then they would make me pay $4.8 million. <laughs> yeah, maybe keep that one in the case preserved. Yeah. But yeah, I cannot believe they just lent that to her. I wouldn't have. I've been like, Kim Kardashian? Shit, you're paying 19.6 million. Oh, just yeah. For, just as a rental fee. Just, yeah, rental. Do it. I can't imagine Ripley's is making a ton of money. Uh, maybe they are, though, if they're buying dresses for $4 million. Who knows? Well, I mean, think about how popular it was. Like, I remember growing up, we would watch Ripley's, believe it or not, all the time. Yeah, I think I have like a Ripley's, believe it or not, book. And I know they have museums yeah. throughout the U.S., yeah, well, and they're one, where is, I don't think they, ha- I think they have subsidiaries, but like the main Ripley's, believe it or not, museum, like, I just, I feel like so many people still go to it because you're like, oh, I'm in this area, like, we have to go to the Ripley's, believe it or not, like, I would go. I mean, now it's just kind of like an iconic, iconic thing that you go do, like, oh, we're going to the Ripley's museum. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So I think they probably are raking it in. They, Yeah. I mean, again, they must be if they're buying that <laughs> that expensive of a dress. Like, that's a lot of money to spend on one item. Yeah. But at the same time, also, like, to answer my own question, kind of, it probably is free advertising for them to just lend her the dress. I mean, it is Kim Kardashian. Well, look, we're talking about it now, so it worked. Fair. Fair. Exactly. Ripley, you fucking done it again. <laughs> well, Follow I that. guess... yeah i'm gonna follow that actually i feel like our stories are gonna really balance each other out because you're talking about something that's so iconic and then i'm talking about something that really got brushed under the rug so get both sides of the coins today that's what we usually are the yin the yin and the yang the yang and the yin (laughs) another 40 minutes earned on the zoom
yeah, in case you didn't hear our complaints last time, Zoom added this situation where we now are limited on how long our meetings can go. And sometimes, if you didn't know, we like to chit chat. And then we have to record <laughs> two different recordings <laughs> so we can get our, our, our stories in all at once. Really high budget over here. Yeah, well, this is because Whitley, again, has uh, all kinds of new jobs and I can never go to her house to record. So here we are. You're welcome. Again, don't send me your hate mail. Send it to Whitley. I'll, I'll post my address. It's eight nine nine. No, that's wrong. <laughs> Yo box eight nine nine. Those numbers are wrong, but they're close. Accurate. Just like mine is six two zero nine. Yo box. <laughs> so, anyways, PO boxes aside, <laughs> I was going to talk about the Black District of Greenwood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which it had been before its destruction considered one of the most affluent African-American com communities in the United States early in the 20th century. Um, but often this kind of gets brushed under the rug. And as I mentioned earlier, it popped up on, I think like a history.com email that I subscribed to. So I started reading more about it. And it would have been great last week, but of course, you know, uh, we did not record last week because of certain persons who may or may not be talking right this second. Um, <laughs> yes, it's me. So. Shut up. <laughs> oh my God, I can't stand you. <laughs> I know. So Greenwood which was a district of Tulsa, Oklahoma, was founded in 1906. And it was developed over a vast area where Native American tribes had been forced to relocate from. Um, shocking, not shocking. We're not shocked here. You're not. So it, it's actually interesting, though, um, because some of the African Americans who were former slaves um, of the tribe subsequently integrated into tribal communities. And they got allotted land in Greenwood through the Dawes Act, which was a law that gave land to individual Native Americans. Wait, maybe I'm dumb. But I don't, the Native Americans also had slaves? Is that what you just said? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Have we known this? And I, by we, I mean you and me, because I don't no. remember ever hearing that. No, and I think it would be a really interesting follow-up story. Yeah, because I'm now 100% confused. Hmm. Yeah, Native American slaveholders. Intriguing. Yes, I'd like to add this to our follow-up list. Yeah, and that's something, like, I didn't realize either. So, very interesting. Um but yeah, so there are former slaves of the tribes who are settling in Greenwood. Um, and then also a lot of black sharecroppers 
fleeing the South, looking for a better opportunity, they come in the region uh, after the Civil War as well. So it actually kind of becomes Oklahoma in general as a state becomes known as a safe haven for African-American individuals um, to kind of escape the remnants of the Civil War and generally just get away from America, proper America, as it was at that point in time. Um, They're going to the Wild West. (laughs) Which actually, I think Oklahoma was where the first female mayor was. We talked about. Yeah, I know. I was trying to remember. I think it's Oklahoma. Susanna Salter. Mm -hmm. We love her. It's a liberal haven out there in Oklahoma. Um, I feel like a lot of, what is it, Oklahomians, Oklahomans, Oklahomies, Oklahomies Oklahomies (laughs) would not agree. (laughs) Oh, probably not. I like Oklahomies. Let's, let's go with that. We'll coin that. Oklahomies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I imagine they would not claim that today, but, but that's probably because they went and burned down this African-American neighborhood and ruined everybody's lives and pushed Native Americans out at that time. So a guy named O.W. Gurley, a wealthy black landowner, he ended up when he moved out there, purchased 40 acres of land in Tulsa and named it Greenwood after a town in Mississippi. So that's where Greenwood comes from. And it's started by this um, wealthy black entrepreneur. And he's also credited with having the first black business in Greenwood, which he started in 1906. Do we know what that was? Um, I actually don't. That's a good question. Oh, oh, yeah. Never mind. It's right here. <laughs> uh, it was a boarding house for okay. uh, African Americans moving to the the district. Oh, we love that. So, because this guy has all this land that he settled, he's trying to establish. He he like comes out and says his vision is to create something for black people by black people. So it really mm. becomes a place that black people start to flock to within Oklahoma. Um, and another cool thing about this guy, O.W. Gurley, is he would loan people money who wanted to start their own business. So he was almost like a startup funder. So he was like, oh, you're coming into our community. Let's strengthen this community. Let's help each other out. I'm going to help you start a business so we can all thrive, which I think is incredible. Yeah. So... After we have Gurley come in, other prominent black entrepreneurs followed suit. So um, J.B. Stradford, for example, he was born into slavery in Kentucky, but he later became a lawyer and an activist. Um, He moved to Greenwood um, very early on in the settlement, and he built a 55-room luxury hotel, uh, which at the time was the largest black-owned hotel in the country. Damn. So this place is like really coming up really fast just because like this community heard about Gurley creating this place for black people built by black people where they can all thrive together as a community and everybody just flocks which is why it ends up being so prosperous as it should be exactly yeah um like there's nothing wrong with that they should have a place you know, anybody should be able to go wherever they want and feel comfortable and safe and be able to prosper. Yeah, exactly. And they're they're doing just that. So they even had their own 
newspaper called the Tulsa Star um, that was instrumental in establishing the district's socially conscious mindset. So the newspaper's main goal was to regularly inform its black citizens about their legal rights and any other court rulings or legislation that are beneficial or harmful to them. So like, it's just this really cool community where they're like, hey, by the way, if like this happens to you, you get like, go to court or something like, here's your rights, you should know these, which is really important, especially for that community, even important today for POCs to know that. So this even becomes a center for activists who are demanding equal rights. It was an ongoing mission for black Americans in Tulsa, despite the Jim Crow laws that were being enacted at the time. You okay? Yeah, I was trying to decide if this was important or not. Sometimes I put stuff in my notes that I feel like are important, but then I'm like, Whitley, that's only interesting to you. Um. (laughs) I feel like if you think it's interesting, that's what this podcast is. If you think it's interesting, share it to the class. Okay. It's about a railroad track. You guys twisted my arm. Yeah, I'll share. Um, So Greenwood actually had a railroad track running through it that separated the black and white populations, which... Mm -hmm is not an uncommon situation in the US. Even today, there's still like highways, for example, separate, were built to separate like white and black but, communities. But my question to you, cause I feel like it's important to ask, was the railroad tracks there before he came and bought the land or after? That I do not know. But the reason I'm bringing that up is because, um, But then my follow-up question would be, were there, was there a black community already there and he just bought up the land to help build the community up or did he buy the land and then the black community came? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. It seems like it's the latter. Um, I can't confidently say, but the, the cool thing about the railroad track, obviously not the segregation is terrible. Um, no matter if it came about like intentionally or it's just how it could honestly have just been how people settled too, because that's how they felt most comfortable because we're still not 1906 is still pretty fresh after the civil war. And there's not a lot of integration happening. Actually, it's the opposite. They're pulling further and further apart and more restrictions are being put in place, um, dividing blacks and whites. So whether or not it was there or not, um, it is an interesting question, but the, the cool thing, it actually works out in Greenwood's favor, the Black District, because it gives them the means and logistics to continue to enhance their economy and their commerce. So this is actually like this railroad stopping like right in their community is actually another huge opportunity that allows them to prosper. Yeah. So because of all this all of these individuals prospering, all these new businesses coming up, everybody's moving into town, they feel safe here. This becomes a really, really, really nice neighborhood. There's luxury shops, restaurants, grocery stores, jewelry stores, movie theaters, barber shops. Hey, Teddy, you're looking mighty cute. <laughs> He's literally been asleep the whole time till right now. Greenwood even had its own school system, its own post office, a bank, a hospital, 
They had doctor's offices. So this was like a legitimate town built up only by the black inhabitants. So they just continue and continue to build upon this. And it even, it, it kind of starts to sound like only like wealthy black individuals can live there, but that's not the case. There are even less affluent black individuals there as well, working jobs like janitor, dishwasher, that kind of stuff. Um, but that's like, the cool thing is that this is a very inclusive community and you can thrive and survive here, even on what people today would consider menial jobs. Which so, is not supposed to be. Exactly. So like the money that they earned would be spent in Greenwood. So like all the money that was made in the community kind of stayed in the community and circulated. And then like when people would come through town, they'd get more money to circulate within the community. There really wasn't a lot of money leaving the community, which really helped them thrive awesome. as well. But here's the thing, because they were so successful, they became a target because white residents were, were upset. Their communities weren't doing as well, I'm sure. Exactly. No, that's exactly what happened. They were like angry because who they considered to be inferior an inferior race are doing better than them. So they're mad. And here's the thing. Maybe take a break and look deep in yourself and be like, hmm, that might mean they're not as inferior as what you've been led to believe. And maybe we should just shut up and take a, a good look at what they're doing and implement those things. 100%. They were, I mean, they were living their best life. Like think about how awesome the world could be if we would have just done the opposite of what we did and just like, you know, took some notes, took some notes, implemented some things and left them the hell alone. But instead, here we are. Yeah, because that's what we do. Ruin shit. We ruin it and, and then we backtrack ourselves and complain. Yes. So also at this time, it's kind of like multiple things happen happening nationally as well. The Ku Klux Klan is resurging. So um, racial violence is on the rise. And then also at this point in time, they're dealing with the Oklahoma Supreme Court um, removing voting access and restricting rights to voting, right. um, which comes in the form of a poll tax and literacy test for the black population. And then lynchings start proliferating across the country. So it's just like a lot of pressure being put on the black community and it's violent pressure as well. So it's, it's tough at this time. Like they're trying their best. They're really creating this wonderful community that is prosperous, but uh, here comes us white people. We're mad about this and we decide we need to put them in their place. I'm just saying like everything we touch, we ruin. So, like, maybe we're not as great as what we think. Just a thought. I don't disagree with your thought there. I think that's a very fair take. Like, I feel like maybe just, again, shut up and learn from other people. Yes. So, the violence gets so bad that the summer of 1919 becomes known as the Red Summer. And this is where anti-Black riots are erupting across the U.S., including Tulsa. Which I just find super sad. Like... One, it would be sad if this was happening 
no matter what on its own accord. Right. But in 1919, we have just left a world war where like millions upon millions of people died over conflict. And we decide that we want to create even more conflict within our own country. It's just wild. Internal conflict happens when countries are out of war, like right out of war. Like look at Germany. I mean, all of their problems started right after World War I as well. So it just, a lot of people feel um, angry and disgruntled because you just witnessed this world war. All of your, um, all of like your money and uh, extra resources and stuff went to trying to win this war. And now the country is left in, in a state of repair and people are pissed off because now you're like national pride is done and now you're back to being selfish that's a good point yeah i guess in my head i was thinking about oh like the camaraderie the like union that people would have formed but i guess similar to like world war ii when men were coming home and all the women had taken the jobs and it completely transformed the social atmosphere i guess that probably happened here too Mm -hmm. and inflamed it so that's that's a really good point um but as these riots start erupting in Oklahoma and um, in other cities in the U.S. The Tulsa Star, the the black newspaper in Greenwood, encouraged residents to take up arms and show up at the courthouses and jails to make sure that black people on trial were not taken and killed by white lynch mobs. Oh, hmm, okay. But the racial animosity in Tulsa erupts in 1921 because 19-year-old Dick Rowland, he was a black shoe shiner, was accused of attempted sexual assault of a 17-year-old white elevator operator named Sarah Page. And this is the spark that sets it off. Yeah, they talked about that in that documentary, so. Mm -hmm. So a white mob went down to the courthouse and they demanded that the sheriff hand over Rowland. And the sheriff is like, no, I can't do that, which good on the sheriff um a group of about 25 armed black men including a lot of world war one veterans Hmm. go to the courthouse and offer help in guarding roland um and 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 again these are these are black individuals i don't know if i skipped over that part no you said that okay cool so they're almost like this community is like so entrenched in this sense of togetherness that like they're going down there to risk their lives to protect one man which is incredible like again this is like ideal community here that unfortunately gets destroyed that's how it should be so word spreads that armed black men are gathering to protect roland Um, And a group of around 75 more black men show up to the courthouse. But here's the thing. They are just vastly outnumbered. There are 1,500 white men there. And they start to clash. And the black men retreat back into Greenwood, into their community, where they're supposed to feel safe. But of course, what happens, the white mob descend into Greenwood, they loot homes, they burn down businesses, and they just start shooting any and all black people they see on the spot. 
crazy. So, unfortunately, this left hundreds of Black residents dead and thousands of homes destroyed in this once incredible, prosperous community. And it gets swept under the rug. Nobody talks about it. Nobody acknowledges it. Um, And it actually wasn't until the 1990s that people realized that this happened in 1921. People didn't even know that this happened. Crazy. So people deserve more. Yeah, they do. Um, And the reason why I got covered up is Tulsa at the time was trying to maintain its place as the oil capital of the world. Shocking that oil is involved and creates greed. Um, They decided that the riot reflected terribly on the city. So they didn't want to include any of their history books, any of their newspapers. They didn't discuss it within the communities. Um, They actually removed some of the newspaper accounts from the period before the editions were recorded and stored in microfilms. So white residents didn't want to admit that they participated in the massacre or knew people that did. And black residents didn't want to pass this pain onto their children. So it just never gets recorded. The history is like not there, but it's pretty significant because the mob destroyed 35 square blocks of Greenwood, 35 blocks including the entire business district, which was thriving, and 1,200 homes. And again, I said hundreds of people died, but they actually don't know how many people exactly died. It's still undetermined. Um, It's reported that 300 people were killed, um, but they don't know. Yeah, and a lot of Black people were charged with riot-related offenses. Not a single white Tulsa resident was charged with murder or looting. I'm angry, but I'm not surprised. No, which is very unfortunate. Um, So that Greenwood district exists today um, still, but it doesn't resemble the black Wall Street, quote unquote, that it was. Um, It's nowhere near, you know, the, I guess the, the center of commerce and community that it once was. So, yeah, I just wanted to to share that story um, because it deserves it, it's important. It's important to know. Mm-hmm.